This year, I travelled across Ireland, visiting families, getting a snapshot of what life was like for them in Pandemic Ireland 2020. Join me to listen back to ordinary voices describing extraordinary times. Like Family with Brenda Donoghue. In May 2020, the lockdown restrictions were gradually lifted. But it began to dawn on us that in no way would this be the year we had expected. And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donoghue or email brenda at rte.ie. Molly is 18. Changing every day in every possible way. That's her dad, Donna, on Bowron. And oh, my dreams, it's never quite as it seems. Cause you're a dream to me, dream to me. Um, well, I suppose my music, obviously, and, um, oh God, I'm watching Normal People as well, and I'm, like, in love with Paul Meskel. Like, you, you obviously would know him because he's from Kildare. I wish. But go <laughs> ahead. I, oh, I'm just besotted by, and him, uh, I just think it's brilliant, him and Marianne, um, Connell and Marianne, get me a Connell. <laughs> Dad Donna and Mum Helena run the local on Grattan Square in Dungarvan. The day of the lockdown, our accountant actually came down to pick up our books and he kind of said, oh, take it easy now. You've been working too hard. You work seven days a week. This is just going to be a little economic sleep. When we closed first, we did a load of work down there. We cleaned it and we varnished it and we got, got that all, all out of the way. Then we came up and we did the house and then we were sitting around for a week and saying what we do and then we decided we'll open up our takeaway food business and that has gotten us kind of some way back to, to reality. And it's, it's bringing in some bit of money that will take a bit of pressure off us and in go the, long, in, run, in the yeah. long run. For us, I really miss the customers because we always say with this place on a Sunday evening, we have kind of a GA crowd and it's like, leave your feelings at the front door because when the slagging starts or somebody knows something about somebody and they've done something, the whole place gets involved. And we love nothing more than a Sunday night, the two of us, mm. when we're finished after the week. Eight o'clock, we go down, sit down at that big snog. For all of us, we're missing the gossip, the crack, the talk. It's just, it's, you know, it's grand to be having a drink up here with Donica every night, but like, do you know what I mean? It's not the same. It's It's not not the same. And Molly? What should you have been doing today? Well, today, Brenda, I'm meant to be graduating from sixth year and leaving school and finishing school and... I'm supposed to be in school now just after playing my student teacher soccer match and getting ready for the mass that we'd have tonight and our goodbyes to the teachers, but that's not happening. Mm. How hard is that? I actually had a virtual graduation with all my teachers and my classmates there earlier. For an hour we were on Zoom and it was lovely to catch up with everyone. Did it help? Um, yeah, you know, it really did help. Like, I was fairly emotional now this morning when I was, when I got up out of bed, like, I was thinking, like, oh, my God, I'm supposed to be finishing secondary school today. I'm actually supposed to be graduating. But, look, like, the coronavirus, COVID-19, it has struck the world in so many different ways. Like, listening to my parents talking about their business, that's their life. 
But my life was school. My life was doing my leaving cert, doing my debs, going on my sixth year holiday, turning 18, starting college in, in September. That's all gone and it's just, everything is just uncertain and we just don't know when anything's gonna go back to normal. What were your Deb's plans? My Deb's. Have you asked somebody? <laughs> have I? Did I ask someone? No. Jeannie, <laughs> man, At least no. you don't have that drama. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. Um, I think I was going to wait and ask someone maybe two weeks before. We were, I was going to go to Independence in uh, Mitchellstown two weeks before my Deb's. And my cousin actually met a lad at Indy and she asked him a few years ago. Um, so I think I was going to do the same because I, I don't have a boyfriend. <laughs> um, so I don't know. So cancelling the exams helped you then get your head around get all my, Yeah, get my head around everything because the leaving cert was the biggest thing I was worrying about because it's something that you're working towards since since you start primary school, really. So it did help me in a way. It did that they did cancel them. Do you feel you've been cheated out of good events in your life? Oh, big time. Big time, I, I re, like with my 18th, my auntie, Tressa, she was actually 40 on the same day that I turned 18. So we've been talking about this party that we're going to have with years since I'm about 12. <laughs> like that's what I've been looking forward to. And I didn't even get to see her on my birthday or, or her birthday. And then the leaving cert holiday, of course, like that's a once in a lifetime experience. That's gone out the window as well. Beth's four children loved the trampoline, including Isabel, who missed the milestones at the end of primary school. For Isabel, I felt that it was a sad end, an abrupt end to something that should have flourished for the rest of the year. Beyond her control, beyond the school's control, beyond even our government's control. Um, But it was still abrupt and it still brings... I suppose, a certain loneliness to be missing out on, I suppose, the little milestones she would have been encountering between March and June as she finished primary school. My whole class were like pretty upset because we were all looking forward, like talking about the confirmation and everything. Um, when we found out we weren't going back at all this year, we were just like even more upset because like it's our last year and we're missing out on a lot of things that a sixth class usually get to do. Um, she'd watched her older sister Maud. she'd watched her I suppose go through the passage of uh, sixth class a few years ago and seeing what the the privileges they get and the fun they have coming to the end of uh, their days you know in in primary school and I suppose it's it's reasonable to say that it's it's your expectation too that they'll be there for you you know and when they're taken away so abruptly um, it's natural you'd feel sad it is unexpected as you said it's not something you nearly budgeted emotionally for so what have you said to your children about it when they've said ma'am this is just not fair it's nothing to do with fairness it's just unfortunate nobody is being unfair on us nobody has done this deliberately to us it's unfortunate that's what it is and everybody has had something um, taken from them something small 
are something just that will change their lives forever. Like if there's been a death in the family due to this. So it's it's, it's not unfair, anything that we've... And Isabel, I think herself, realises that, of course, we get impatient that, you know, the lovely things are gone. But we realise, we put on our big picture hats and we kind of go, OK, you know, it's unfortunate, you know and beyond anybody's control. Rosa should have been receiving her first Holy Communion. I'm watching Rosa play and she is totally grey crack. But she doesn't get social distancing. No, that's down to, I suppose, her intellectual disability. She doesn't understand, I suppose, first of all, that people need a bit of personal space on the best of days. (laughs) But also, I suppose, she has poor spatial awareness. So it's difficult for her to understand and kind of get how to maintain a distance from other people. Her instinct is to get close to them and to talk to them and it's really endearing and it's lovely normally, you know. And people are so lovely and they they kind of enjoy her personality. But that's not what we're supposed to be doing. On Easter Sunday we did call up to see her grandparents who live nearby and we stood in the garden and she couldn't understand how she could not give her grandmother, my mother, a hug. And... um, And she actually bolted out the gate and the visit had to be cut short because she just felt, I suppose, reprimanded. She felt she just didn't understand it. And uh, my poor mother, she rang me the next day and she said, look, would you just bring Rosa up for a very small, quick hug? And I said, no, mum, I can't do that. And that's really hard, you know, on both sides. I suppose I am anxious about how she will fit into this new kind of distancing um, reality that we're kind of looking at. Aoife changed her career and is now an intern midwife. She's arriving back home at the end of her shift at the front line. She needs that drive back from the hospital. Whether it's getting the radio on as loud as possible and singing along or sitting in silence sometimes is enough or if you need to have a cry on the way home and just get it out of your system you have to process it um, because you are a little bit scared do you know and it, there is always that little worry and that little concern and smaller things then I suppose can kind of get on top of you a little bit but no that's where you try and get back to you on the way home is that that 40 minute car journey how has that affecting you and the family? I don't feel like I have the energy to do the stuff the kids want to do. Initially, I would have started off great. We were baking every day. We were painting. We were doing Play-Doh. We were doing everything. And as it goes on, you notice. And it's kind of, you take stock of it sometimes where you're like, oh, I actually haven't done anything with them all week. Haven't done anything. Do you know? I'd, like, I bring my toddler to bed at night and read her the same story. We're a big fan of Goldilocks. We read that story every night and... The impact for her is that she doesn't want me to leave her room. Mommy, stay with me. Mommy, stay with me and hold my hand. So I stay with her, but I fall asleep with her. Because I'm absolutely wrecked. And I suppose it's lovely having that little bit of time with her where I am reading the story with her and I am getting to spend that bit of time with her. But she has found it really difficult with Mommy being at work and Mommy being away. And that's, that is the hard part. And then obviously with, you know, the other kids, like... Grace is a little bit more direct, like she will tell me. She will say exactly what she's thinking, like, you know, you've been working for two days, Mom, and I really miss you. Because I don't see them in the morning or the evening when I'm working. For the eldest boy, he stresses about it. So that's maybe why the decompression coming home in the car is maybe even more important. Because he can read you 
he's at that age where he just picks up the subtle things and you know I'm looking at him and I'm thinking to myself I know if I go in the door like that he will know there's something wrong and then the worry starts for him what happened mom is mom okay he's 11 he shouldn't be thinking like that so that 40 minutes that I get in the car vital of course childcare has been a big issue for yeah. frontline staff and yeah. with three young children mm-hmm. how has that impacted and what have you done Childcare has been a massive issue for us um, because my husband is still working as well. That means that we're in a position where we've no crash. Um, both of our families would have helped us out enormously in relation to childcare and we haven't had any of that. So we have been basically playing, uh, I suppose, passing chips for the last 10, 11 weeks. Whatever days I work, he will stay at home with the kids and then when I'm off he's at work but that means that I don't see him because he works all of the days that I'm at home then so that he can make up his time at work now he's extremely lucky that his boss is as good as he is that he would let him do that first of all do you feel that the practicalities of family life with you working in the front line with your husband working Mm. in essential services no childcare that you're kind of holding it together by a thread yeah both of us obviously are stressed because we both have to be at work, but we have these three children that we need to take care of. And we sit there and we have these discussions about, oh, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do this day? He could have a day that I'm working that he really needs to be at work. And it's that's the battle. That's where you start going, how do we manage this? That's when it gets really, really difficult. And simple things like us sitting and having our dinner in the evening, that's something we always did every single evening, you know, the family dinner in the evening element starts to disappear. And that was always a big thing for us. And that's hard for the kids as well. You know, not just us. Oh, it's yeah. hard on them. What are the fears and stresses this COVID virus has brought to your life? If you think kind of deep down, what are what are the fears of the pit of your stomach? There's always the fear that you're going to take it home with you. Absolutely always. That's probably the big thing. You're afraid you're going to spread it, that you have it. That you're on the wards with babies, with mums. You're not symptomatic. Am I doing harm? Do you know? Which puts more pressure on you in relation to your PPE and stuff. It's fear. Hmm. It's fear. You are scared. You know, you're scared all the time. Um, and more probably for those around you. Could I have this and could I give this to my family? Could I have it and could I give it to a woman? Could I give it to a baby? You know, did I miss a step? You're you're scared. Probably a little bit frantic by times. Um, do you know? But at the same time... You're trying to maintain that level of care to make sure that you are giving people what they need, that when I come home that I'm switched on for the kids, that I have that five minutes to talk to Jason before I go to bed. Um, it feels like it's... I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just... There's that underlying fear the whole time. That nervous... It's like a nervous energy, almost, in the pit of your stomach. Um, yeah, it's just... It's overwhelming. It can be very overwhelming. It can be. Dave, Emma and Casey are also overwhelmed, but in a different way. This is weird because we're in a car park for Drogheda United across from Our Lady from Lourdes Hospital because you're visiting. Now, Casey, 
You have the news. Um, my sisters were born last Thursday. Their names are Quinn, Callie and Minnie. I actually screamed the house down. I think I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> like the minute I seen them, I just like, I just loved them so much. Like I seen a picture, I was like, oh my God, these are just so cute. Like they're so cute. So the, the section was quick like. Yeah. I was called in a quarter past nine, came in, sat beside Emma held our hand and I swear to God by 9.35 we were leaving the room with three new daughters. They were all born screaming, crying and no help needed with their breathing so that was the, the, proud, the first proud moment that they weren't even a minute old. <laughs> so you're going into the hospital, what do you have to do when you go in there Emma? When I go in there I do all the girls feeds and cares for as much as I can do while I'm in there you know on my own. It's not easy to do without somebody to help you with three babies in there but the nurses and midwives everybody is great. Callie and Quinn are both due their feeds on a half hour so I'll go in now and I'll do their nappy, their temperature, their line gets checked by the nurse, they're getting fed through the tube and fed through the teeth as well. They're, they have to practice everything so we're doing that and then Minnie will be next and then you get to give them a little top and tail wash or a bath I got to give Quinn a bath for the first time a few days ago oh, and actually I'll show you the picture Brenda yeah, yeah. this was our first bath now but wait you see our eyes it's so funny yeah. look <gasps> at our eyes god they're huge look at our eyes the first one going into the water <laughs> she's like how dare you <laughs> but yeah she didn't, didn't like, like that too much can you no. see that properly there yeah? I can yeah Cool though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, what the all hell the is this? Free, are a bit freaky though, aren't they? Yeah. Well, that's just a feeding tube in the nose. Like That's all that is. Yeah. So you can understand that with preemie babies. She looks very hale and hearty. I mean, they a chubby, are. goodly baby. Oh, come here. They're, they're all great. Like, I mean, Kelly, as I said, she was born at 4'4". And then we have Quinn that was born at £4. And then Minnie was 3.5. Brenda, every time they sent a picture to me, I'm getting overwhelmed. And I just, I'm not much for crying, but I, I can feel the tears leaking out there. I'm trying to hide them so no one can see but I'm not great at hiding them at all I'm not <laughs> but uh, yeah it's a weird feeling just butterflies in my stomach and it's just like me boys well up it's just it's crazy I, took, it I just took a little video of Quinn and it was <laughs> just a little few hiccups or whatever it was the cutest thing I ever seen <laughs> but I sent it to David last night um, when he was at work and we were like sending each other voice messages then talking like you know and I think I must have watched that video about 15 times I think we, me and Casey watched it in the bed three or four times Casey kept on saying um, I'm played again <laughs> I played again played again so yeah is this whole setup really hard coming here hanging around the car park while Emma goes in and feeds them you're not getting to see them well we knew from the start and we found that there were triplets that they were going to be born premature you know so I was kind of prepared, mentally prepared myself for the NICU you know what I mean but then this coronavirus came in just smacked me right in the mouth like I can't go into the hospital I can't see them so like I think I've accepted it and I'm dealing with it or I'm just I don't know if I'm dealing with it or just burying the emotion you know one or the other but I, I tried to put on a brave face so I don't scare them too much I make <laughs> her feel too guilty you know that she can see and hug and kiss the babies and I can just smell her afterwards <laughs> Casey what's the first thing you're going to do when you get your hands on your three new sisters I already have it planned out I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to put like a cushion so I can support their little heads and I can just hug them I'm not going to leave their side all day <laughs> <laughs> they, everyone might be getting sick of me holding them but I'm not letting them go I'm not letting them go again <laughs> Casey is learning how to be a big sister. Mikey is also a big sister. She 
and the younger children moved from the Philippines to Ireland after their mother died. Their father, Miguel, had been working here to support the family. He died in May from COVID-19. At 21, Mikey is now head of the family. There's one day that I heard my dad coughing, started coughing, and then I asked him if he's if he is okay, and then he told me he's fine. And then the next morning he was like, he's not feeling well already. So the ambulance was called and he went to hospital, is that right? He told me to ring the ambulance because he has a difficulty of breathing. Um, that's when the first time that I saw him having a difficulty, I rang the ambulance and then that was it. But we're not really worried at all because we thought he will be fine. But then the next morning, um, the nurse from the ICU rang us and told us that my dad was critical. And how many days was he in ICU? 41 days. And what were you thinking during those 41 days? During the first and second week, it was very hard because during the second week, my auntie was sent to the hospital as well. And then it was us at home. And then we have no um, financial support because my dad's ATM card, he has it in the hospital. So all the Filipino community decided to bring us food because we can't go outside because we're on isolation as well. All of us in the house. And what did you say to your younger brothers and sisters at that time? During the second week, I started telling them um, what happened because the doctors started telling me that they are worried because that might not be able to make it. So it was very hard for me telling them that news, very bad news. That's an awful lot to bear for you, Mikey, at 21. Um, we know, they know that we only have our dad because we lost our mom. Mm. So, of course, we are all worried. And I just keep telling them that let's just pray for his recovery. So, unfortunately, your dad didn't make it. When did you hear him? It was when the doctor started to invite us to the ICU to visit him because maybe they know that my dad wouldn't live that long. Did you feel you were saying goodbye? Yes. When we went there, I can see it that he's really in pain. So it's very heartbreaking. Did you talk to him? Uh, I told him that he don't need to be worried about us because I will stand as a guardian for my brothers and sisters. And he know that with the help also with my auntie. Did you feel you gave him some comfort saying that? I'd say, yeah, I did, especially when I offered if he wants to see my brothers and sisters through video chat. So yeah, after that video, video call, um, he decided, he managed to close his eyes and then lasted for two more hours before he left. 
How important is it to keep you all together? It is very important because we're afraid to lose each other and we love each other so much and we grew up, the four of us, all together. What's going to happen now, do you think? Will you stay in Ireland? If we can stay in Ireland, it would be an honour for us because we, with my brothers and sisters, they want to stay in Ireland and so do I. So hopefully, but we don't know yet. Thanks again to everyone who told their stories. Those were voices from the spring of this year. And tomorrow, we will listen back to voices from summer 2020, when lockdown was temporarily lifted. Join me at three. And until then, thank you for listening. This programme was produced by Eileen Hearn.